0: Good morning. Good morning. Ah, we're doing good. Today is Sunday, August 28th. Did you know that? <laughs> Where are you going with this? School has started up for some of you. I just wanted to bring the mood real far down. That's my goal right now. So. <laughs> How many of you guys have kids that went back to school this week or the week before? How many of you guys are educators that went back to school this week or the week before? You're somehow connected to education. Wow, there's a lot fewer of you. How many of you guys, uh, your kids are going to go to school or you're an educator and you're going to start school here in the next week or so? Okay, so it's coming? Summer, I'm going to say it, is coming to a close. Yes, this is hard for people in Michigan, right? We're all a little saddened by this summer is coming to a close. And, uh, and here we are on a Sunday, August 28th. Um, the year was probably 1993 or so. My wife, uh, who was my wife uh, now, Emily, she wasn't my wife then in 93. Uh, we had only been dating for a few months probably. I, I, we were like maybe maybe 19 years old and if if you can remember being 19 year old, you got some stuff going on in your head right now. You're like, oh, you got But if you're not, if you're like 17 and 18, you're super cool, don't sweat it. But like, when we get old, we're like, man, we didn't, we didn't know a lot when we were 19. That's different. Back in the 90s, we didn't know anything in the 90s. We didn't have the internet. But you guys are way better now if you're 19, I get it. But, but as we were 19 year old, we were just, we were just children, right? And, um, and we've been dating for a few months and I got, this, I got this grand idea that I wanted to make this grand gesture for her because uh, even though we had only dated for a few months, like I knew she was the one. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? Some of you with me? A little romance this morning on a Sunday morning? Are are we okay with this? Okay. Okay. And I knew she was the one. So I wanted to, I had this question that I wanted to ask her. It's like the most important question I I was probably ever going to ask a girl uh, in my whole life. And so I wanted to do it right, I wanted to have this grand gesture, and so as I figured I was only going to do it one time, and so I got some friends together, like like friends that could keep a secret and could run really fast if we got caught, and uh, well, one of them, Pete, cannot run very fast, but it's cool, because you always need one scapegoat you don't talk about, one guy can't, some of you are with me on this story, okay, so... So we're 19, so we got this grand gesture. I got some friends, right, and they're going to do it. And I grabbed my rock climbing gear. It might be hard to believe, but I was kind of avid rock climber in college. So I grabbed my rock climbing gear, and I found uh, some of Emily's friends. And, and we timed it just right that uh, when she was going to go up to the cafeteria at the college that we are at. Now, the cafeteria... The college we were at, second story, and it had a glass wall. We call that windows, but it was like the, from top to bottom, so like full glass wall on one side, so you could overlook the canyon and and anybody rappelling down the side of the building. Now to answer the question that you're, was that common? no, no one had ever done that before. But I decided I'm gonna make this grand gesture. To ask Emily this most important question, and, and her friends were going to tell me right when she got to the top of the stairs, and, and so I had my rock climbing gear, and, and I had my friends, and, 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 and we had the cafeteria, and I was, in, I was in my tuxedo, and truth be told, I borrowed a tuxedo from a friend because I was 19. Who owns a tux at 19, right? But I borrowed it from a friend, and so, so here we go, and I got these signs around my neck because have you figured this out yet, if you can visualize it, like she can't hear me inside the building, all right, so I'm smart like that, so so I got friends, one will get caught, and I got gear, and, and I, got, I got Emily, and I got her friends in on it, and we're like, we're going to have this moment, and so there was, I mean, it was like this huge group of people, we're not supposed to be on top of the cafeteria, just in case you wonder that question, there's some of you, get, this is all going back to school, right, now. anyways, so, so, um, so my friends are up there, and they're all giggling and stuff, and her friends are like, she's there, she's there, and so um, I, I, I'm ready to go. My buddy was on belay at the top, so I didn't like, plummet to my death because that would have really ruined uh, the moment there. <laughs> Let me pause. Have you ever thought about what makes a good story a good story? Have you ever, ever thought about that? you probably thought about that. Like what makes a good story a good story? And I wanna suggest that what makes a good story a good story is when it starts with me and my buddy. <laughs> or see, right, right? There was this one time your mom and I right or or back in 93 Emily and I like like good stories start with other people and i suggest that they probably end with other people as well, the group, the crew, the team, the squad, whatever you want to call it, and, and if we have time, we'll come back to the rest of the story in the end, but it, but it's not the most important part, because more importantly, we want to finish, some of you guys are going to have a hard time hanging in, that's okay, so we, more importantly, we want to finish Colossians this morning, we've been working through this book, and so if you have a, your app or you have a Bible, I'd like you to open to Colossians chapter four, that's where we're going to spend our time, because, because there's something really unique, uh, there's a number of things really unique, but there's something really unique about this book that we've been in, and, in, and since, since June, I got to open this in June. It was super fun and I get to close it today. So I'm thinking about this concept of beginnings and endings. And that's where I want your brain this morning. Thinking about beginnings and endings. What makes a good story a good story? This concept of other people as part of that story, that's what makes a good story uh, a good story. And it's interesting because this, this letter, which contains some story, it, it starts the same way. It begins with a we, some other people, and I want to show you that it ends with a we, some other people, and that's just really fascinating. That good stories begin and end with we. Matter of fact, if we were to jump to Colossians chapter one, the very first couple of verses, uh, the author of Colossians, Paul, he says this: he "says We always thank God. We always thank God." And he goes on. He says, "When we pray for you." See, Paul could have said, I always thank God when I pray for you. That would have meant something, but he doesn't. He says, we. And who's he talking about if you look at the verses? Probably him and Timothy, like this traveling companion of Paul. and Timothy's got a story, you know. But there's a we there of Paul and Timothy. And then when we get down to the last few verses of chapter 4, starting in verse 7, we're going to add eight more we's. The crew, the squad, the team, the group. And this is what it says if you're there with me, starting in verse 7, chapter 4. Colossians, it says. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful um, and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, uh, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only one of the Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured." I for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Let this letter uh, has been read to you. See to it that it's read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus that, that, that see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you at least eight more wees there's a couple of other people mentioned there but I I just want to capture this concept of the we that are with Paul and frankly we 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 probably don't have a lot of clue on who these folks are like we read these names and, and maybe we've heard of a couple of these before. So give me a few minutes. I just want to do the rundown for the history nerds in the room. Some of these people have backstories and they're kind of interesting. For example, in verse 7, we're introduced to Tychicus. Uh, he's a Gentile. A Gentile is just a non-Jew. In that world, there were two options. You were a Jew or not. So if you were not Jewish, you were considered a Gentile. And so there he is. He's probably a Gentile. Uh, He's most likely the bearer of the letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. So Paul wrote it, and then he sent it with Tychicus out to that church. Uh, He was selected sometime earlier as a delegate to join Paul in Jerusalem and be the custodian of this offering that they had collected for needy people. You can read about it in Acts 20 and 24. So he was the guy that was trusted with that, so some sort of a messenger. And he functions as an assistant or a trusted friend and companion to Paul. In verse 9, we hit up against a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus is also a Gentile. He's part of the church in Colossae. Literally, Paul says, he's one of you, which is a super fascinating language. Like, he's one you guys know. Onesimus, we'll find out later, not in this book, but in another book, that that he's a runaway slave from a guy named Philemon. Now, Philemon is the same Philemon. There is a letter in in the Bible, we call them books, they're really letters, written to this Philemon about this guy, Onesimus. And so Onesimus is this runaway slave from Philemon. And somehow he runs into Paul in Rome uh, where Paul's in prison. And Ones- Onesimus enters into a relationship with Jesus somehow and joins Paul's uh, group of friends, co-workers, his, his we. In verse 10, we're introduced to a guy named um, uh, uh, Aristarchus. Uh, he's a Jewish Christian. Uh, he, he seems to be arrested nearly as much as Paul. He, he tends to, to get in trouble a, a lot. We hear about this sometimes. And he's this fellow traveling companion of Paul. Verse 10, we're also introduced to a guy named Mark. Don't get bored on me. I know you, I know some of you are tuning out. Don't do this, right? It's hard. You can do it. Mark, Mark's a Jewish Christian, cousin of Barnabas, which is a whole other story. If you know the story, good for you. If you know, you know. But, but if you don't, it's okay. Just know he's a cousin of a friend, of Paul's closest friend, traveling, companion. blah, blah, blah. Initially, Mark left the crew back in the day. He was part of the group, and then he left the group. Paul was not a fan of him. Actually split up Barnabas and Paul. They had this heated disagreement over Mark's um, flakiness. And, and, and Paul's like, I don't want him. But apparently he's back in the crew now. And, and, and back in the crew, and Paul's kind of a major fan of him. This is the same Mark that writes the gospel of Mark. You remember these? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He's the Mark that writes Mark. That's interesting. We get this guy named uh, Jesus, and they're clear to make sure we understand quickly, also called Justice. It's not Jesus like the Jesus the Lord, but like Jesus, some dude uh, named Jesus Justice. Uh, Jewish Christian, and that's it. That's that's all we know about this guy. He made it in this one spot, and that's what we know. Uh, in verse twelve, we're introduced to a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras is a Gentile. He's also part of the Colossian church. It uses that phrase of him also one of you. Uh, He probably founded the church at Colossae. He brought this initial report of how the Colossians were doing, how well they were doing to Paul, which got him really excited and prompted this letter as a write-back, right? And, And Paul describes him as this passionate and dedicated to whatever is in the best interest of this church that he founded. Verse 14, we're introduced to a guy named Luke. Luke is the author of that other gospel by his name, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So we got two gospel writers as part of Paul's crew. We don't, do we care? We don't care. I don't know. Do we care? Is it interesting? Kind of. So, so Luke, Luke is uh, the guy who wrote the gospel and also the companion book, Acts, which is a history book. It's like part two of Luke's gospel, right? Regular traveling companion of Paul, which kind of describes why in Acts we get so many details about Paul's journeys, right? Because he was there probably a lot. And we learn here that, that, that Luke was a medical doctor which is fascinating because sometimes you're like, man, Luke, why did you include that detail? But if he was a medical doctor, he was trained to observe. And that might be why he included that detail. You tracking with me a little bit? It's kind of interesting. All right, and the last guy we're introduced to in verse 14 is a dude named Demas. Demas is a Gentile probably. We don't know much about him except what we get here where he's a traveling companion of Paul and he seems to be, uh, Paul's all kind of stoked on this guy. But by 2 Timothy, which is only like two to three years later, he deserts Paul. So he's part of the crew and then not part of the crew a few years later. Matter of fact, in Second Timothy, this is the phrase Paul uses of him. He says, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. That's, that's pretty brutal, right? And so, and so here we are, right? A, a fairly messed up bunch of people. That Paul calls his we, like, like you've got some Jews in there, and at least one of those Jews is a Pharisee, which is like the Jewish of the Jews, like the top level, most Jewish you can get Jew. One of those guys is, is at least a Pharisee. One of those guys, Timothy, converted to Judaism as an adult, which means he had to go through circumcision as an adult. Good. And, and if you don't know that, you're welcome, parents. Uh, and, <laughs> for kids, sorry. Uh, and so I, I just got to imagine that this Timothy, part of this crew, because there was other people that were not Jews, part of this crew, they were Gentiles that did not have to do that. And if I were Timothy, but I'm not a very decent person, if I were Timothy, I'd be like, that ain't fair. Make him do it too. This sucks, right? So, so you got this going on, right? You got these Jews with these Gentiles who just didn't have to deal with thousands of years of history and laws and rules and expectations, All right? You got church planters with these established church institutional guys just in these 10 people that are mentioned, All right? You've got these previously incarcerated regular blue-collar workers with these medical-trained Ivy League doctor. You've got deserters, some who left and came back, others who will just eventually leave and we don't know what happens. We've got these deserters with friends who stayed with Paul from the beginning. What a crew. And would you trade that? Would you want them as your group, as your people? What a crew, what a volatile mixed bag of people. And Paul calls them we. We, that's his people. Some would stay, some would go, Some Paul could count on for a lifetime, some not so much. Here's my point, and if you get nothing else, catch this. Paul's people were messy. People, (laughs) you ready, are messy, amen? Your people, your people, your people are messy. People are messy. This is the reality. And in all that messiness, this is still what Jesus left us in terms of our best for spiritual growth, we call it the church, and it's filled with people who are messy, and, and I'm, I'm one of them, and, and you're one of them, and that's just a crazy thing when we think about it, and it begs the question, who is your we? We? Who's your crew? Who's, who's your people? I'm not talking like your football friends or like your beer buddies or your ladies night out, gal pals. That's all cool. I love that. Like, but, but not those, but like who are your people that are there for intentional disciple-making friendships? Who are your, your we that help you go further in your relationship with God and you do the same for them? At North Point, we, we, we call this a life group. It doesn't have to be North Point. It doesn't have to be a life group. But here, that's the word that we use to capture this concept. And so if we were to ask it to folks at North Point, we'd say, who's your, who's your life group? The people that help you move towards Jesus. They help you follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and help you stay committed to the mission of Jesus. Who is your we? Who are you actually doing life with? So it's interesting if we're being honest when we get to this last chapter in uh, Colossians and we get to those names, what do we do? We skip it. Amen. Are we allowed to say amen to that? I don't know. This is online. I'm in trouble now probably. But we do. If I'm just straight up about it, I get to that and we just kind of move past it because I don't, I don't know those people. And as I'm telling you about it, the stories about those people, if, if they were me sitting out there, I'd be like, I, I don't care. <laughs> I'd, I'd have glazed out. I'd start thinking about grocery shopping list. I'm just being straight with you. Because I get it, right? Because we don't know those people. It don't matter to us. And, 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 and you don't know those people probably. And maybe you're like, oh, Luke was a doctor. That's cool, right? But but we just don't get it. We don't know them. They're not our, we. Maybe the history nerd in some of us. We're like, oh, that's cool. The interconnections and stuff. And that's cool. My daughter, Danielle, she's a history nerd. She's watching this right now. She's probably like, oh, I'm so excited. What are you talking about? Cool, there's one of us, right? But But we just don't get it. Because this is not like deeply devotional material, but you know who cared a ton? Those original hearers. See, when this letter was read to the church in Colossae, and then Paul's very clear at the end, like, hey, I want you to ship this off to the church in Laodicea and read it again. Like these people knew the we, they knew those people. Like the folks that sat in the pews, there probably weren't pews, that sat in the pews and listened as that letter was being read from the front, they knew those names, They're like, I know that guy. Those people had probably eaten dinner in their homes. They'd sat around their table. Maybe they babysat their kids. They probably bought their farm produce from some of these people. Maybe Luke saw them when they had a weird rash. I said weird rash online, right? Luke checked that out for them. Like, Like they had a deep connection to these people. And so when these names were read, you would have like sat up straighter and been like, "I know that guy. Well, how's Demos doing?" Or if it had been read a few years later, then been like, "That punk Demos, he just deserted." Right? Like these were names that mattered to the Colossian church. And while maybe we don't feel that same attachment, our we, the we that we have, that matters to us. And so these great stories start with we when we're talking about we. Hey, so three of my friends in college and I one day, right? Everyone's like, oh, what'd you do, you idiots, <laughs> right? Because great stories start and end with we. If, if you just attend church, whether it's North Point or, or if, if you're online and just somehow you stumbled on this because you didn't separate the words and you thought it was a different North Point or whatever, like you're like, well, that doesn't look like Stanley. <laughs> yeah, it's not me. Uh, <laughs> wherever you're at, like if you just attend church, you're missing out on something. If you don't have a we, like you're missing out. If you come to second Sunday someday, we'll, we'll talk about this. We say uh, we love we love corporate worship, like what, what the band helps us do in terms of worship through song, and maybe the speaker as we pray together and take communion. So we love corporate worship, but if that's it, Sunday morning experience is it, and there is you don't have a we we say you're missing out on something. And I want to suggest to you, because I like to mess with your brain a little bit, that if you don't have a we, and we're not talking again about just like buddies, we're talking about people that push you towards a deeper relationship with Jesus. If you don't have that we, might I suggest there's one reason why? Now in your heads, you're thinking lots of reasons. You're like, I don't have time. Yeah, you do. We have time for the things we want to do. It's not that it's not a time thing. I get it, you're busier than crazy busy I, I understand it's not it you're like well, well I, you know I, I tried it didn't work I, I, I hear that <laughs> more than you know I hear that you're like well I'm an introvert I'm not very social yeah I got a club if you're interested well we don't have a club it's no one's invited because I'm introverts but all right I get it right, I tell people my social tank is this is this big and, and my wife Emily fills it that that's I'm good all right so if you resonate with that, what's it? can I just suggest one reason why, if you don't have a we, why you don't have a we? Here's, here's the one reason why. Because people are messy. People are messy. Right? We, we, are, we are all aware, often painfully aware, that whenever we move into we, it gets messy because people are messy. Relationships are Messy. And everybody sitting in this room, minus, you know, the one person who this never happened to, we've all been burned by relationships with people. We've got in and we thought, oh, this is going to be my friend, and then it's not. We go, oh, we got in, we thought, this be part of my we, and then they hurt you. Because relationships are messy, and we are messy, and people are messy. Conflict is the price we pay for deeper relationships. Like, let that sink in. My wife and I do this marriage ministry and, and one of the assessments we use is called Symbis, S-Y-M-B-I-S. And, and this, is, this is a day, we spend time on this page right here that uses this as the start. The conflict is the price we pay for deeper relationships. We tell marriages all the time, if there's no conflict in your marriage, I wanna be careful here because this is too completely out of context. So it's a little dangerous, but if there's zero conflict, uh, it could be, not always, but it could be, because you stopped caring, because conflict is the price that we pay for deeper relationships. If you're in a marriage, you're like, we don't have conflict. Maybe you've worked through it, and you've gotten to a better place. This is not a marriage talk, so we aren't going to go there, but just hang with me on this, right? But conflict is the price that we pay for deeper relationships. So messy and conflict is inevitable in relationships, right? But unity is still this goal. In other words, we need a we, uh, Jesus, when he was on the planet, and he, he had a we, by the way, that's a fun study sometimes he had. Uh, well, tw- Well, some, and then 12. And then of the 12, eventually one leaves. You kind of know this story, right? And then there were 12, but then there were probably more, like 120, and then maybe 1,000 that were kind of chasing him around. So he had this crazy we, and when you understand some of the characters and personalities of his we, you're like, well, I wouldn't have picked that guy, <laughs> right? And then I think, I don't know that I would have been picked to be a guy. So I don't know, but Jesus had a we, right? And, and as he's coming down to the end of his earthly life, he has this like last dinner with his guys. Do you remember this? We call it the Last Supper. It sort of forms the basis for what we call communion, right? It's Last Supper. He eats with his guys, right? And, and, and then he washes their feet at one point. And, and one of his we, Peter, Peter's like, oh, don't wash my feet, that's gross. And Jesus is like, oh, you need this because this is important. He's like, wash all of me. And Jesus like, you don't even get it, ah. Right, and so there's this whole episode going on. Jesus says, hey, let's go take a walk. And so they go outside to this garden that they often walked in and they take this walk. And Jesus talks, at the end of John, like 15, 16, 17, like Jesus starts talking and he lays this really heavy stuff, on his we, he says things that we get like, we get like rich theology out of this section. There's like great wall quotes out of this section that Jesus lays on his guys for his last few hours of life. He says things like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Oh, that looks good crocheted on a pillow, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled, right? He says, where I'm going, there are many rooms. You've heard of like in my father's house, there are many rooms i right? have like room enough for all of you right and he says i am the way and the truth and the life like no one comes to the father except through i mean this is all in this section is they're having this little walk in the garden he says if you love me keep my commandments this is jesus again right? he says i'm sending the holy spirit to help you figure this all out he says abide in me remain in me and i'll remain in you he's telling his guys this stuff heavy stuff he says the world will hate you that's stunk right there the world will hate you because it hated me first. He says, in a little while, you're not going to see me anymore. And then you're going to see me again. He says, a time is coming when you'll all be scattered. And then he says, I tell you all this so you can have peace. <laughs> They're taking this walk. He lays this heavy stuff on it. I tell you all this so you can have peace. It's interesting because in this moment, he's laid this stuff on the guys. And I always picture the guys being like, uh-huh. And Jesus, scripture tells us Jesus turns his head to heaven and just goes from talking to the guys to talking to God. He prays, we call that prayer, right? Jesus lays out this heavy stuff and then he begins to pray. And, 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 and really Jesus's last prayer, kind of, kind of, sort of, just go with me. I know he says some other things before he, he, he's crucified, but, but this is like, in terms of prayer, prayer, like this is his last thing that he's praying in front of these guys, obviously because someone wrote it down, right? He's praying this out loud so his guys can hear. And, and, and do you guys know what he prays for? I mean, immediately he prays for his disciples, the twelve, you know, that they'll be able to carry on the mission and that kind of stuff. And then he moves like real quick within a couple paragraphs, and he starts praying for those that would come after them. So that's that's us. So he prays for the twelve, like, hey, help them. And then he's like, but also for everyone who comes after. Jesus prays for us. Do You know what he prays for? This is so interesting to me. Do you know what he prays for? You don't have to answer that out loud. I know that's kind of a scary question, requires a lot of capital, you know, but. What is he for? There's all kinds of things he could pray for. I mean, he could pray that we would finally listen to him, right? He could pray that that his message would be clear throughout the ages. He could have prayed for our daily bread. He's he's done that before. He could have prayed for our safety, but he doesn't. John chapter seventeen, the last piece of this walk with his guys, starting in verse twenty. This is what Jesus prays for for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the 12, the original disciples, or 11 at this point. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them, are you with me? What's it say? May be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given him the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know. Then, that's a crazy word. That's a big word. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. The last thing that Jesus prays is for this concept of. Unity, oneness. And in Jesus' mind, somehow that will be the thing that drives people to Him, this concept. Of unity, not uniformity. It doesn't mean that we believe the same thing or think the same thing or, or, or say the same thing in lockstep. That's that's crazy. We're open to all kinds of opinions and ideas and conversations, but we do have to figure out how to get along. That's what Jesus is praying for, that we would be on the same page, that we would love and care for each other in the midst of our differences of opinions, in the midst of our messy in the midst of our conflict, in the midst of our complex relationships, Jesus prays that we would somehow figure it out on how to we. That's wild. Amazing. Of all the things that we need, the most important to Jesus at that moment is that we, we, that we would we. We are bad at this. Frankly, Christians, historically, you, you look through the history of, of Christianity and, and we, 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 we we didn't do well. We haven't done well. Some have. Some have. There have been movements really built on the concept of unity and they're kind of figuring out how to, We but like historically, we look at the splits and the churches and the, and the, and the Middle Ages and the, 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 pap, the papistry and all this stuff that we look at. Like we've been pretty bad at it historically as a people, but, but when you add American into it, like, I, I love this country. You know, I love America. We got incredible freedoms. Like, don't hear me down, put down the country. I don't think, but, but, but our culture as Americans, we are fiercely independent, which is the opposite of we. We love, we, <laughs> I should use I. I, as an American, love to argue. It's fiercely opposite of we. I you put yourself in the eye if you're willing. Love to be right. Amen? A couple of you are bold enough to say it, yep. That's the opposite of, of we. So as Americans, it just gets more complicated and, and worse. And then, you know, we love to pick on social media, but I am so tired I get these sent to me all the time, these, these uh, uh, YouTube, Paramount Plus, Netflix specials that are some person mm, trying to build their own brand and make a dollar by putting down some church or some pastor or some group and slamming them and taking bits and pieces out of context so they can feel better about that. Man, how is that a we? Well, Jesus doesn't pray that, that we would somehow like, make sure everybody who's wrong is pointed out entirely, even if it's just a minor difference of opinion. He thinks that the world is going to know that he's legit because of our ability to we. So what I see going on in culture seems so far from what Jesus prays in John 17. Uh, I came to North Point 11 years ago. And uh, one of the reasons that that I came here uh, was because of uh, this church's, I call it expansive people type. And some of you guys that were maybe there when I was here, you'll remember talking about this, but we had, this is how I put this down, so love me, raging charismatics with recovering Baptists, with, right, young families with old people, mellow people with really opinionated people, introverts with the other type, right, homeschoolers with public school families and even private school families. Republicans with Democrats, with even Libertarians. To me, that just smelled like 11 years ago. We still have that. It's still a church that I think we are. We are a a crazy, messy bunch of people that are kind of all across the map. And praise God for that. Because in my head then, and even now, it smells like heaven. I know it's hard to believe, but there will be some charismatics and some Baptists in heaven. Some Republicans and probably some Democrats, two Libertarians. I mean, outside the gates, fighting the power, but it's cool, right? I mean, you hear what I'm saying? Like, it's just this, this concept of unity. You see where I'm, I'm going with this? Uh, uh, the idea of figuring out church in the midst of the mess, he was so important to Jesus, that's what he prayed for, it's such a big deal to Paul, that he begins his letter, and ends his letter with it, and it's got to become a big deal to us, for us to figure out this, this we, so I started 20 minutes ago, telling you a story about rappelling, and cafeteria, and I don't want to leave you hanging, yes, I knew I'd get one, did that for the band, they just deadpanned me, made me nervous. But. So so here I am, I got the tux on and, and I got the, the ballet set up and we're doing the thing and and, uh, and her friends are like, She's there and she's while Emily's walking into the cafeteria and I tossed, it was, it was gorgeous. Like it was beautiful. I timed it so right. She was beautiful too, by the way, but but I was way, I just timed it right, went off the side. And when your feet hit glass, it makes a good sound that the entire cafeteria is now paying attention. So I got tucks on and I got, I got these signs around. I told you that, right? Signs around my neck and so, because I'm gonna ask the most important question that I've ever asked a girl in my entire Life. Emily was right there at the window. And the whole room went silent. It's like 100 and something students, you know, just trying to get food. And it just went, it went quiet because this grand gesture is about ready to happen. And you, you, know, you know what it is, right? Are you there? You're like, Chris, <laughs> we know how you tell stories. We don't know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> I had these huge poster boards on my neck, and so the so, uh, first one was blank, and she, Emily's standing there like, oh, help me, Jesus, and I, she says that a lot with me, and, uh, and, and I pull the first one off, and it says, will you, isn't that amazing, and I, and I rip that off, and she's like, oh, and all the women in the room are like, "Ah!" Oh, and all the guys are like, "Uh!" Oh? And, and it said, be my, and I rip that last one off, and the third one, it said, valentine, valentine, <laughs> Guys, I'm 19. I'm not even thinking about marriage. you kidding me, man? I don't even know. I don't even know where my shoes are in the morning. If you're 19 now, you're way better and smarter. I get that. I totally understand. That. It's the 90s different time, right? And, and, but what was funny about it is that is that it started uh, a rumor on a Christian college campus uh, to get the MRS degree. If you're from Christian college, you get that. If not, it's cool. It's not for you. Uh, but to get that MRS degree. So that started a rumor that we were engaged, which was super hilarious because we weren't. But it also started a three-year dating relationship where uh, I, I would propose to Emily, fake propose, to Emily in grocery stores, parking lots, sporting events, middle of class, didn't matter. I would just get down on one knee and loudly proclaim, my love for her and proposed. I'd get those rings out of little gumball machines, proposed with that, probably hundreds of times, which you guys are like, that's silly. And I'm like, no, that's smart, right? Because when the real thing came, she's worn down. I'm just kidding, All right? <laughs> Here's the only point in telling you that story so it hangs in your head a little bit, that good stories start and end with our we. They, they start and end with other people. Colossians starts and ends with other people. Paul had a we. Jesus had a we and I just want to push it on you Who, who's your we as you leave this morning we're gonna we're gonna stand and sing but who's your we that's the question I have for you so if you'd stand we'll sing we'll be done